0: All right, before we get into the full episode, um, we have another one of these situations, which Wisconsin has done to us now a couple of times, and that is they get commitments from guys after, right after we get done recording, and that is exactly what happened today. We recorded the episode, great episode, talking a lot about the junior days and uh, a new recruit and grant stack, and you know some other things, transfers and all that good stuff, and uh, as soon as we got done, got word that Wisconsin had added another commit. His name, Rob Booker, a guy we talked about during the episode, but we're gonna talk about now. He's a tight end Adawana key a big guy, six six, two twenty, about the same size as Grant Steck, as you'll hear here in a little bit. But Jesse, you had a chance to to chat with with Rob Booker after June his junior day visit, which was this uh just last when he was he was part of the big junior group, uh junior day group the first weekend and uh has decided to commit to Wisconsin Had offers from A number of uh, Big Ten programs, including I know that he was at least interested in Minnesota, so PJ doesn't get his guy, Uh, but Rob Booker, the third commit of Wisconsin's 2024 class.
1: Yeah, this is another big one for Wisconsin because what it does is helps to shore up the tight end position, which is one area that Wisconsin didn't address in the transfer portal. So now you've got Grant Steck and you've got Rob Booker. And I think it says an awful lot that he's making his decision now because when I talked to him after his junior day visit, his plan was to visit Stanford the weekend of February 11th. And he said at the time that if Stanford were to offer him, that would be a really big deal for him. And at the time, his top four schools were Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and Stanford should the Cardinal offer him a scholarship. Obviously, academics are very important to him. But this is an in-state guy who sees great opportunity at Wisconsin. And what the Badgers are doing offensively, I think, is a big reason why he wants to be a part of this. Now, when he went on his visit, he met with Phil Longo. He met with Mabier Matire, the 2024 quarterback commit. They gave him a presentation of what the new offense would look like and how he might be implemented. And he said that they told him he would be used all over the field. And Booker was talking about how the tight ends in this Phil Longo offense could be playing in the slot, in the backfield, like a fullback, outside receiver. And he, he said that the new staff emphasized that under the previous staff, tight ends were more of a glorified offensive tackle at times. And he, he Booker said, I'm not saying what the old staff did with tight end was wrong, and I'm quoting him here, but from a, from a player's standpoint, at this position, you want to catch balls, you want to score. And you know, you're going to put your hand in the dirt and block, but it's just more fun and more appealing to play the position the way that Phil Longo has it devised. So I think this is, again, another important pickup it's an in-state, which is a big deal. And this is a guy who caught 27 passes last year for 360 yards and six touchdowns. He's got good hands, good route running ability. And as Grant Steck said, you can't teach size six, six. That's pretty good. So off to a great start in recruiting for the 2024 class to have Booker become the third commit.
0: Yeah, he's the uh, number five prospect in the uh, 24-7 rankings. He doesn't have a composite ranking yet. He's a three-star recruit, but the fifth-ranked player in the state in a class that's uh, going to be uh, pretty good, pretty good. Um, And we did talk about all these other guys in the class, but it's obviously another very nice pickup. Tight end is a spot where they have some athletes I think in J.T. Seagreaves and Jack Pugh, and then obviously if Clay Conner can stay healthy, you know it's it, the tight end is going to be used in this offense. We'll see exactly what it looks like, but I think it's unfair to say that tight end wasn't or wasn't used to catch passes in this offense before, though, right? Would you agree with that? I mean, Jake Ferguson, Troy Fumagalli, go on down the list of guys that caught a lot of balls in a, in a Paul Chris style offense.
1: Oh, I think that's going to be different. Yes, that's what I'm going to say. But go ahead. Yeah, of course, tight ends were utilized in the passing game. And if uh, Clay Cundiff hadn't gotten hurt, his numbers would be far greater than what they are at this point. But I think it's the way in which tight ends will be utilized, the different variety of uh, ways they'll be lined up. And the other thing is, I think it presents an opportunity to have more than one tight end be the guy. I mean, you look at all those years, Um, look, having one tight end play at that level is outstanding for Wisconsin, but it was generally only one guy and whoever else happened to play was a blocker. And I think this opens the door for more possibilities for different variations. And again, Phil Longo talked about this on earlier in the month, but he wants to tailor his offense to the skill set of his players. And when he was at UNC in 2020, he had two 1000 yard running backs this past season. The running backs were, um, underclassmen or younger less experienced he had three very good tight ends so he used them a lot and that was an offense at unc that had six players catch at least 24 passes this past season so i think that's what's appealing is you get a couple tight ends now and guys that could potentially complement each other as both blockers and pass catchers at the same time
0: two guys that are six six pretty good uh allegedly allegedly um <laughs> you, you never you just never know with that stuff right but yeah i mean now you got yeah, those guys are 6'6". Six, six. JT Seagreaves listed at 6'6", uh, six, six as well. Um, it's a tall room. It's going to be a tall room to go along with the tall offensive line room and, and all that good stuff. So, uh, yes, Rob Booker becomes uh, commit number three for the Badgers in the class of 2024. As I said, we recorded the entire episode and then they uh, then we found out that he was going to be committing right as we got done. So we apologize for that. But that said, here is the rest of our episode in a stadium rich with tradition the lights shine the brightest this is the camp now here's your host zach Heilprin, on the wisconsin sports zone radio network yes welcome into the camp i'm zach Heilprin. he's the athletics jesse temple well it is uh, obviously fully the off season now the news is starting to slow down a little bit for the badgers even though national uh, the second national signing day coming up tomorrow as we talk about this here on Tuesday and uh, doesn't appear that Wisconsin is going to be adding anybody in this uh, uh, tomorrow, but I guess things can change. Obviously the one big name that's still out there to Mel Howard. He made a visit to, I believe it was LSU this past weekend. Um, he's also very much uh, on the board for Michigan. And a lot of people think he's going to end up there, but uh, there's a lot to, I guess there's still a very small hope out for Wisconsin. We'll see if that changes Uh, If you're listening to this and it's changed, my bad. Um, But Wisconsin looking ahead to 2024. They're getting their 2024 class uh, starting to rev up a little bit. Uh, They got the commitment from uh, Mabry Met Tower last month. They lost Austin Alexander, the uh, defensive back out of Illinois, as his recruitment picked up. So they're back down to one guy. Now they're back up to two because they got four-star tight end Grant Steck out of Illinois. He is is the 10th-ranked tight end in the country, according to the 24-7 Composite. And the highest rated tight end Wisconsin has landed though in the recruiting rankings era, though, if you two guys that ended up playing tight end, Travis Beckham and Lance Kendricks, both were rated higher than he was, but either way, it's a, it's a, it's a huge get. And he's actually ranked higher than, than maybe Met Tower. So, uh, but two, four stars to start this class, Jesse, I know you had a chance to chat with, with Grant. Um, what is Wisconsin getting? Here?
1: I think this is a tremendous pickup. Um, I had a, a, like you said, I talked to him and, He said that a lot of tight ends around the country like to put out their highlight film and it's just them catching passes, at least the ones who are in offenses where they're able to do that. And he certainly is, but he really wanted to make sure that he put some film in there of him blocking because he wanted to show that he could do a little bit of everything. Um, And if, if you look at his film, I mean, there's one play in particular that really stands out to me is he's, Lined up, he's an inline tight end, and he's blocking, and they toss the ball to a running back around the left side. So Grant is on the right side, and he sprints 20 yards up the field to midfield, and he blocks a defensive back for 25 yards and then throws him to the ground to spring his running back. Um, now, obviously, he's six six, and he's got a lot of size, so physically he can outmuscle a lot of people, but there's a lot to like about Grant. And as a pass catcher, they lined him up everywhere. And I think that's something that was really appealing to Phil Longo and this staff offensively because he can block, they put him in a slot. Sometimes they just stuck him out wide as a wide out and he could create mismatches. So obviously I think it's a really big pickup for Wisconsin. And and you talked about the recruiting rankings and he's well aware of it because he knew that he and Mabry are four-star guys. And he said, he's already seen some buzz on Twitter and obviously pays attention to that, but that this has the potential to be maybe the best recruiting class Wisconsin has had in the online ranking era. And we're very early because there's (laughs) there's only two, there's only two prospects, but look, they're both four-star prospects. It's pretty clear from what we've seen in the first couple months of the Luke fickle era, that the staff is willing to go hard after really top level players and try and raise the bar that the best class Wisconsin had a couple of years ago. That was 16th had what five or six four-star players, a five-star player, So it's not out of the realm of possibility. Again, it's extremely early, but if you look at, they've gone two for two in these two critical positions at quarterback and tight end to get four-star guys, really good players. Um, And obviously Grant, like a lot of four-star guys had some great options, but he wanted Wisconsin. He said he visited five or six times. Every time he comes here, he gets a feeling about how excited he is. And he knew coming into his junior day visit that he was going to commit. So this was a really big week and a really big month for high school prospects in terms of recruiting, and they closed it out with a bang on the last weekend with the junior day visit, offering four players and getting a commitment from Grant Stack.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. I'm wondering how you think exactly the tight end is going to look like in this offense.
1: Yeah. Well, I think they'll be used in a lot of different ways, but I think he will fit in well with what Longo would want to do. And when we talked to Longo earlier in the month, he, he said that, his number one thing is utilizing the skill set of the players that he has. And at North Carolina uh, last year, when he said that there weren't veteran running backs like there, there were previously, when he had a couple thousand yard rushers, he had three great tight ends. So he used them a bunch in the passing game. I think this is the kind of player with Grant that they can use him all over the field. I mean, that's his expectation, but he's also the type of player who understands how important blocking is because, again, If the running game is going to continue to be important, which is what Longo has stressed, you've got to have players willing to block. But I just think it's if you're a player, it's exciting as a tight end to know that you're not solely going to be a blocker. And this is the same thing that Rob Booker said when I talked to him last week. He just said what they're doing offensively is more exciting if you're a player because people want to catch the ball if you're a tight end. So I think they'll utilize them in a lot of different ways, but they'll be able to spread them out and try to take advantage of mismatches.
0: Yeah, Rob Booker, uh, a big guy, six six, two fifteen. You mentioned mm-hmm. Grant Stack, about that same size, so they're, they're going to have some size. But I think they also offer some athleticism on the outside um, that maybe. Yes, and, and and I shouldn't say that Wisconsin hasn't recruited that. I think Jack Pugh has has that type of athletic ability. I think um, JTC griefs has that kind of athletic ability. So maybe. We'll see some of the, see those two guys perhaps having some success in this offense as well, and we'll see where Clay kind of is. I think he's the most uh, well rounded tight end that they had on the roster last year, and he just hasn't been able to. He's been, I mean, that, let's be fair about it; those are two r- just really unfortunate hits. And I don't think it matters who takes those hits. I think the leg, you know, what I mean, like some people, some people will call him injury prone or he can't stay on the field. Those two hits take anybody out, right? In your mind, in my mind, I should say yeah, they he- do. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, he's had some terrible luck. Those, those were just devastating hits. Um, I do think the tight end group in general is pretty strong, and there's a lot of youth there, as you mentioned. They got they were going after guys, one of the things the previous staff liked and haven't had a chance to do a deep dive on exactly what this current staff wants out of its high school prospects, but they strongly encouraged, the previous, previous staff did, guys who were multi-sport athletes, and they were getting guys who were very talented basketball players who are super athletic, who could use some of that ability in other sports to translate well on the football side. And so I'm certainly interested to see what Jack Pugh can do if, and when he gets an opportunity. And we saw see for one play in the bowl game. He caught a three yard pass. So there's talent there and Grant's deck certainly adding to it. And and another thing that Grant talked about is you can't teach height him being basically six, six, he's got an advantage over smaller cornerbacks. He says his hands are, are really good. So when he tucks the ball, his hands are big enough that no one's going to get a hold of it no one's going to knock it out and he's just got a really good ability to run routes and battle for contested catches so i think he honestly this is the the cliched total package uh statement but really i think when you when you talk to him and you watch the highlights you see why Wisconsin's offensive staff is so excited about his potential in in this offense for the future
0: it is pretty disappointing that you can't teach height though um
1: yeah, I, I mean if I, you could I'd like to think I would have earned a division 1 scholarship at some point. Maybe they could have got 6 inches on me. I could have been a, a shooting guard or something.
0: We, we all we all have our hopes uh the people that are uh at a height disadvantage in life. Either way, he gets he gets uh the the second he's now the second commit. I guess maybe Mettaure was the second commit. Now he's the uh, number one. We'll see where the uh recruitment of Austin Alexander goes. Um he's starting to blow up a little bit. And probably he obviously committed to the previous staff, even though they didn't have a head coach at the time. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different. I, I think Wisconsin, Yeah. do you think Wisconsin is still interested in Austin Alexander?
1: I would be surprised if he wound up at Wisconsin at this point. Um, that's just my sense, but a lot can happen. I mean, we've look, we saw it's different, but Tretch Kekahuna decommitted under a previous staff and then committed to a different school and Wisconsin, went after him hard. On the other hand, uh, they didn't lose him while Fickle and crew were in charge. So I think it's a little bit different situation.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so that's two four-star guys, as you mentioned, in the class to start it out. Who are some of the other high-level guys do you think that that potentially could be committing? I don't know about soon, but some of the other guys that we should be watching. I know they had a bunch of guys here at Junior Day that um, they're very high on, Um, whether it's Jordan Marshall or Corey Smith or Donovan Harbor or Nathan Roy. Uh, I know we kind of talked about some of the guys from junior day last year, last week, but there's a, there's a host of highly ranked kids that could certainly help this class um, here in the next few months.
1: Yeah. um, They had more than it, it can make your head spin because there's so many guys to try and keep track of. But so the last two weekends, Wisconsin hosted separate junior day weekends, more than 30 kids were here juniors, a couple sophomores in the 2025 class. But basically, if you're an in-state guy and you are on Wisconsin's radar, <laughs> you are you were on campus. Obviously, I think this is an exceptionally deep in-state class. Like there are ten players in the 2024 class that have Power Five offers, and seven of those guys had offers from Wisconsin. Landon Gothier is one who just earned an offer over the weekend at his junior day visit. A linebacker from Green Bay. I mean, I think that's the kind of player that you want to lock up if you're a Wisconsin. But you start at the top, at least from the in-state perspective, and I think we probably discussed this on a previous show. But Corey Smith, the top players at their positions, to the two top guys in the state who go to the same school, Lockshot Catholic Memorial. I think if you can get Corey Smith, that's absolutely huge—a running back of that caliber from inside the state. Oftentimes, Wisconsin goes elsewhere, and Jordan Marshall is—I mean, because there's such competition for his services. A kid out of Cincinnati, Ohio State's right up there. But if you can secure the best running back from the state, like Smith, I think – I don't want to call it a must-get, but I think that would be a really big deal for this staff. But they had a bunch of different four-star prospects. You mentioned Nathan Roy. He's the third four-star prospect in the 2024 class. He was up in Madison over the weekend, really liked his visit. So they've got a lot of options in the state and out of the state. But I think even when you see who came to visit – a lot of it is emphasizing, as Luke Fickle had talked about, the 300, 350 mile radius, that's it's kids from Wisconsin and Illinois and the occasional guys who are from outside the state, um, beyond the borders. But there's a lot to <laughs> like. Yeah, quarterbacks they'll go to Texas. They'll go, <laughs> they'll just go straight to Texas and get the best they have. That seems to be the the philosophy. It's worked pretty darn well there.
0: Yeah, they had a, a number of those guys at the basketball game on Saturday as part of their their visit.
1: And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> it was a good
0: thing when it was 30 what 35 34 on that comeback the 13 to 2 run. It wasn't so great when it was a 22 to 4 run the other way. But um but the environment there for a little bit was was fine. Uh, I did notice uh it appeared that uh with Frank Longo the excuse me Frank Longo Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator and Frank McNell, the uh, offensive line coach, their seats right next to Nathan Roy's family him and uh, Nathan really and his family. So, um, there you go. And
1: yes. Jack, Jack Bicknell. I don't know. Who's Frank.
0: What did I, what am I doing here? I don't who's know. Frank. I have no idea. I have no idea. Frank Bicknell. You know who that, you know what it sounds like? Uh, a Frank Packers Ab- player from 87. No, Frank Avangale, uh, Abingale from, uh, the, Oh, the Catch Me if you can. Yes. I don't know why it made me think of that. Uh, Frank. Right. That's right. Right. Um, I'm going to have to look that up now because, yeah, knew. I don't know why why I thought one of the – yeah, that's so stupid, Zach. Either way, I'm going to have a hard time. That's going to be – yeah, that's going to be difficult now to forget. But, yeah, the, the, the junior days overall, some of those in-state kids, you look at the in-state class and pretty much – I mean, it's obviously a much better class than it was a year ago, but think about oh, the yeah. guys that have Wisconsin offers. Donovan Harbor, Corey Smith, Nathan Roy, Rob Booker. Derek Jensen obviously picked up an offer this weekend and other – uh, in-state guy out of Arrowhead. You mentioned uh, Landon Guther. Are there other guys that uh, could potentially earn offers? We saw Jace Gilbert, uh, another kid from Arrowhead, ended up committing to Iowa State. Wisconsin had not offered him. But the top of this class is is uh, or the class in general, just compared to where it was in 2022, or the, I should say the 2023 class is just you know leaps and bounds better. You well, think about I mean, you think about the 2023 class, it's Nate White and that's it. That's the
1: thing that I think can help elevate Wisconsin recruiting so much for as much as we talk about what the Badgers can do beyond the state. Look at some of the best classes Wisconsin has had. Now, the 2019 class was a bit of an exception, which, again, this will tell you that you should take recruiting rankings with a grain of salt because that had Logan Brown, Graham Mertz, Joe Titman, who obviously panned out very well. But 2021 and 2020, they had in-state guys. I mean, Trey Weddick and Jack Nelson were your top two players in the state in 2020, and they committed to Wisconsin, their four-star prospects. So when you can start at home and get guys like that, it clearly is going to elevate what you have. And I think that's part of the reason why the 2023 class was a bit of a struggle for Wisconsin. That's not the previous staff's fault. Nate White was the only in-state guy that they offered. That almost never happens to have that, that. I guess, suppose little amount of top level talent in the state it's cyclical. And 2022, we were talking about how it had a chance to be amazing, or I guess that was, yeah, it was 2022. Um, And it didn't necessarily pan out for Wisconsin. I think it's a double-edged sword though, when there's really good talent, it's harder to keep them. And we saw that in the last class where they lost a couple of offensive linemen to some other, some other programs, but obviously this is a good thing for Wisconsin to have seven offers on the table for in-state guys. And I have to imagine that they feel pretty good about where they stand in a lot of situations.
0: It's funny. You mentioned the talent, like within, when this talent goes up in the state, that the competition becomes more, uh, more difficult. Right. Uh, Saw a couple pictures with um, Lincoln Riley in time, in, uh, in the state recruiting. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: You don't normally see Yeah, you don't normally see USC come in here, but I think that may change with them being in the Big Ten. Wouldn't you agree? Like, do you think they're going to? I I think Wisconsin and some of the other schools in the Big Ten will have a a bigger um, ability to go out west in the same way coming in here um, for for USC and UCLA.
1: It makes a lot of sense. If you're going to sell yourself as a Big Ten team that's going to be playing a lot of your games in the Midwest, go get the best players in the Midwest if you can do it. USC, like a lot of programs, obviously a national program, but if you could steal a four-star offensive lineman because you're willing to come out here, you do it. So that is part of the challenge. And I mentioned this in the junior day recap that I had that ran on Tuesday. Nathan Roy is a perfect example of this, a four-star player. He's got 18 offers. And in the last two weeks alone, he's gotten offers from Michigan state, Tennessee, Ohio state, which is always the big one and Kentucky. And so just because he's an in-state guy and he's not your prototypical in-state guy because he moved from Las Vegas before his sophomore year, um, you got to work really, really hard to secure these guys. Donovan Harbor, one of those guys who's been on the radar of everybody for a year. And same with Corey Smith. So even though you're an in-state recruit, it's really kind of like recruiting a national guy and just hoping the fact that they're, they've got a close proximity to campus and they're willing to visit a little bit more to Wisconsin than other schools are going to pay off. And I think that was one of the reasons Wisconsin struggled a couple of years ago during COVID. And Paul Chris said as much um, in his office when he met with a handful of reporters that it was basically like taking away Wisconsin's biggest advantage. So absolutely, you've got to you've got to take advantage of it when you've got a class this deep and talented from inside the state.
0: Yeah. You know what else is taking away an
1: advantage of Wisconsin when
0: under Paul what Christ?
1: Got, what do you got? Under Paul not Christ? having a full recruiting staff,
0: not having a recruiting department for six months. Not to take anything, not taking shots at anybody Eight that months. was in that, not in, not to any, not taking shots at anybody in that room that was working their butts off and try and trying to keep it going uh, after Saeed Khalif left and um, some other guys left, but that hurt Wisconsin more than anything else, COVID or otherwise, in my opinion. So you can blame it on a whole bunch of different things, and he will he will never I, I probably will never have to probably will never talk to him again, but you can't you can blame it on a lot of things, uh, but that has to be at the top of the list in my mind.
1: Oh, you're and not going to hear an argument from me.
0: <laughs> I know they're different times. I know they're they're not the same periods, but come on now. Come on now. Don't. No. The only thing, the, the biggest thing that hurt you was that. And he he would never take, he would never say that was the case. Uh, whether it put him behind or anything like that would would not say that. Because well, there's still people working. Yeah, you throwing things, tons of things on other people's plates that were already full to begin with. Yeah, either way. uh, That's irrelevant. And uh, maybe a topic for another day.
1: Uh, we'll see uh, we could go an entire show on that you're you're absolutely not going to get an argument from me even as it was happening i was scratching my head and just couldn't quite understand what what the process was here but um yeah i mean obviously that that contributed to, to where we are now but the good news is if you're a badgers fan is you've got a staff now that uh just knows to the grindstone and totally embraces this and is willing to put in that i go back to that term relentless effort but they are going to do whatever they can to get the best players and um, I think it's still very early in 2024, but I won't be surprised if this class ends up being top 30. Um, and honestly, I don't know that I'd be surprised if that sort of becomes more of a norm at Wisconsin. Now, that doesn't guarantee anything. But if Wisconsin is able to develop the talent that it, it, it has in a way that it's been able to do in previous years, that is sort of what it feels like needs to happen for the Badgers to take that next step.
0: Well, I mean, what was the class ranked at Cincinnati when they when they ended up leaving? It was 28, right? It's like 28 or 27 or 28.
1: I have to look on that one. You're talking about 2023.
0: Yeah, I'm trying. Before Luke Fickle got the job at Wisconsin, I believe that class was 2028 20, or something like that in the country. So if they could do it at Cincinnati, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to do it at Wisconsin. Certainly, the talent in Ohio is more, but I don't think that they're not. I, th- I don't think they're going to stop recruiting in Ohio. Maybe it'll be no. more difficult to maybe it'll more be more difficult to get guys to leave the state, but um, I don't think so. I think, well, I hey, think they'll want to. I think they'll want to play in the Big Ten.
1: Right. And here's part of what I think. First of all, you're absolutely right. They were number one in the American Athletic Conference in recruiting in four of the last five years. Um, and that was with a three-person recruiting staff. And two of those guys came over uh, with Luke Fickle to Wisconsin, Max Steiner and Pat Lambert. You're going to hear those names a lot because they're extremely important to what Wisconsin does in recruiting. Um, and they have their fingerprints all over what Wisconsin's doing. But beyond that, I think my sense is, yeah, their roster is not going to be comprised of 50 or 60% Ohio guys. Like it seemed like it was at at Cincinnati, but they're going to have a shot at guys that they were recruiting that just didn't want to come to Cincinnati, even if they were from Ohio or, or outside the state, because they wanted to play in a power five conference. Um, and even in talking to some of these guys, and, and I will say some of these guys, um, You know what? Grant Stack is a perfect example. Um, When I was talking to him, like they were interested in him at Cincinnati, but he wanted to play somewhere bigger and better, which you can certainly understand. And they went and got him at Wisconsin. Um, So I think there's going to be some of that as well. Obviously they've got the resources and I think that's going to pay off huge in the long run, but Ohio absolutely is going to be a part of the recruiting strategy and it should because of the talent there. So I just think, you know, it's kind of crazy to me that in a few months you've gone from what the storylines were before to what I feel like is a lot of optimism on the recruiting front because of what they've been able to do and the direction it feels like they're headed.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's run through a few more of these names of guys that were that were here this weekend that you had a chance to to talk to. Yeah. Um, uh, Marquise Lightfoot, the outside mm-hmm. linebacker out of Chicago. Um, he's a four-star recruit, the number 22 player uh, in the comp- composite for edge players.
1: Yeah, so sometimes when you turn on the film, uh, it looks like you're just not sure. Like, eh, like, okay, that this guy looks like a dude, and there's a reason why he's got 37 scholarship offers. He just offensive tackles, and he's he's from Chicago. He goes to Kenwood. They cannot block him. It, it's remarkable. He had 122 tackles, 18 quarterback hurries, 15 tackles for a loss, nine sacks, but. He, feel, he feels like, and when I was talking to all these guys, I would ask him where Wisconsin stands. And he he said that they're going to be up there in his top five. Now, there are some guys who are just, you can tell when you talk to a kid, this guy's going to commit to the Badgers because they're like, yeah, this is my top school. And um, But I think they firmly planted themselves in the mix because that was the first time that he's been able to come to Wisconsin. And this is the thing that the defensive coaches are selling to a lot of these recruits. And it's something that we heard Mike Trestle say to us when we had a chance to talk to him earlier in the month that idea of meshing the elite, what they're saying is look at what these two schools did in 2021. Wisconsin's run defense was number one in the country. Cincinnati's pass defense was number two in the country. And that was part of the message that this staff was giving to Lightfoot is if we can combine the two, we can be something really great. And and they think he can be a part of it. Now he is a defensive end in high school, but they view him as an outside linebacker. And they think he can do either of the positions, the way that Lightfoot put it, that one of them will be, kind of a hand down guy. And one of them will be more of a a pass coverage type of guy, but it's got the, all the top schools in in his mix. Like, you know, he talked about USC and Ohio state are two schools. He's going to go visit when this dead period ends. And that's another thing. There's a dead period right now for those listening. So February is kind of this mandated dead period where, um, it's uh, recruiting kind of, you can't go take a on-campus visit, but after that, he's going to go see those schools. He's just coming off a Michigan junior day visit. But to me, that's the kind of guy who can be a, a game changer in a recruiting class. So, yeah, they had, I mean, at least a half dozen four-star guys on campus in the last two weekends that can really shape what your class ends up being.
0: So they also offered uh, on defense, I should say uh, had offered prior to, but now uh, was able to visit this weekend. That was uh, Brody Barnhart. He's out of North Carolina, a guy that six one, one seventy five. 175. Uh, I think he's the ranked the 47th best safety in the in the country.
1: I really like his game, and he. this is the kind of kid that I think Wisconsin's got a very good shot at because his strategy or philosophy was, maybe it's not a strategy, but he wanted to be, it seems like, closer to home, five- to six-hour radius of North Carolina. So you look at the other three schools in his top list, it's NC State, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, those are all in that range. But he said that he sort of came up with a list in his head of the schools that most interested him before all this kind of blew up for him and wisconsin was in there so when he had a chance to go to junior day he canceled his trip to west virginia so he could come to wisconsin with his family that says an awful lot and he does a little bit of everything too he had 102 tackles as a safety he can play all over he had four touchdowns as a kick and punt returner but the thing that caught my eye when i was talking to him is when he was talking about what the difference is between wisconsin and the other schools that he's looking at And he said, the main thing is Wisconsin has the ability to turn into one of the powerhouses in the NCAA. And I don't know if the other schools I'm interested in are able to do that. I think that says an awful lot for a kid all the way down in North Carolina to have that idea of what Wisconsin can be. And I don't think he's wrong either, because it really does feel like the Badgers with the way things are trending are on the cusp of potentially taking that next step. And you can feel that excitement as a recruit. Uh, and they want to be a part of it. So, again, that's his top four. He hasn't made any decisions and certainly doesn't have to. But he had a relationship previously with Colin Hitchler, the safeties coach, because he attended a camp at Cincinnati and as a freshman. And, and actually, the interesting part here is, apparently, from what um, Brody said, that Hitchler was looking at Jim Leonard's recruiting board uh, and saw Barnhart's name on it and was reminded of him and ended up watching the film and they got him out for a visit. Barnhart didn't actually hear from the previous staff, but I think that's the kind of kid that would make this class a whole lot better. And I think another theme that we've seen is this staff is able to get guys here that they at least had a relationship with at Cincinnati. That's how they got their foot in the door and they can try and take the next step now that they're at Wisconsin.
0: And they also offered a wide receiver this weekend. His name is Kyan Barry Johnson. He's out of Illinois. He's only five ten. He's only 162 pounds, but. Wisconsin became his first power five offer.
1: Yeah. Some of the, some of the tape on him, it just kind of makes you go. Wow. Because he's gone to some camps like rivals camps. And uh, he went to the Midwest boom, best of the best winner showcase a couple of weeks ago. And they do a lot of these drills. So it's one-on-ones wide receivers against DBs in a very condensed space because they've got cones set up and he's going up and making these leaping one-handed catches, which it seems like has kind of become his calling card. And I think Wisconsin is catching him kind of at the, at the beginning of what his rise might be, because as you said, this was his first power five offer. You look at some of the other schools that have offered him, it's ball state, Bowling green, UConn, Houston, and Marshall, but he's got visits that he wants to take to Illinois, Purdue, and Minnesota. And so, yeah, he's only five, 10, but he could be a slot guy. He plays on the outside for his high school. Um, And the thing that he said coaches compared him to, and I had to look him up because it's not like I've studied North Carolina's roster, but he said receivers coach, Mike Brown, Phil Longo, uh, the tight ends coach, Gino. Good let me get that right. Um, yep. They compared him to Josh downs. Um oh, really? Each one of them did. They, that's mm-hmm. the name that they used every time. And that's a guy who finished third in North Carolina history and, catches and fourth and receiving yards so they all see that in him and uh, again very early in his recruitment but a high level player and he was the only wide receiver who was on campus for the junior day visit and so he really got some good one-on-one time with Mike Brown and the staff and I think he feels pretty good about about where things stand with Wisconsin but wants to see more of these schools
0: so that was the last two weekends we, we talked about some of the guys that you had a chance to, to meet with, or I should say talk to last week. Are you impressed with what they've done the last two weekends and just in general, what they've done recruiting wise to this point?
1: Yeah, I couldn't be more impressed. Um, you know, I don't, I don't work in the PR department and I know now everything sounds like uh, what rainbows and Skittles and whatever else is sweet and perfect because uh, they haven't lost a game, but, I just think what they've done in the, in the last two months to generate excitement, it's kind of, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. It's unprecedented, really. Um, and I wasn't here for the Barry Alvarez years early on, um, but things are a lot different with Wisconsin's program and the expectations and how closely people follow recruiting. I think they've brought in a top 10 transfer portal hall, which I didn't know was possible at Wisconsin. They've were able to secure six players in the 2023 recruiting class when it was down to eight and they got some quality there. It wasn't like they were just going after anybody so they could fill out the numbers. And I think they've put themselves in really good position with a lot of these juniors. Again, I, they had more than 30 players on campus the last two weeks. And when it's all said and done, I think these last two weekends, there's going to be several commits that are going to form the backbone of that 2024 recruiting class. And Grant Stack is one of them, obviously, maybe Mattire was up here, even though he's already committed. So I think, yes, I I could not be more impressed with what they've done. Um, Now they've got to obviously continue that success in the 2024 class and they've got to go win games for that's. The other thing is for all the excitement that's been generated, whatever may happen in spring practice that we write about that is different from Wisconsin now you've got to go do it on the field, um, and obviously in the Big Ten, that's easier said than done.
0: All right. I uh, wanted to switch gears here a little bit to a, a guy that is already on the team, and his name is Nick Evers, and the quarterback transfer, obviously, from Oklahoma, who kind of started this whole thing. Would you agree with that? I mean, if everything was status quo until Nick Evers decided to come to Wisconsin. It feels like it's all been uh, uphill. No, it's always – it's all been – what would you call it? Skittles and rainbows since – <laughs> yeah, the uh, essentially since uh, since his commitment, it feels like that was kind of like the turning point and the change point. You had an opportunity or you I should say you wrote a story uh, about him and, and what made Wisconsin the best fit for him. When you got done writing the story and thought about it, what did make it the right fit for him in Madison? Because yeah. obviously there's it's it's a place he would not have found himself other, uh, if if not for a few different things.
1: Yeah, I had a chance to talk to his parents, uh, his high school coach, Kevin Murray, who's the private quarterbacks coach, who helped also spearhead the charge to get Tanner Mordecai to Wisconsin. Um, he's got a lot of connections with quarterbacks in Texas. And, and his dad, Derek
0: is re- he, the best, he the best recruiter? At <laughs> uh, I'm
1: going to put Longo one and maybe uh, Kevin Murray's probably got to be in the top five and you can get a quarterback <laughs> like Tanner Mordecai. But uh, no, um, his dad said that um, they heard from 42 schools after... Nick Evers entered the portal Um, and I didn't put this in the story, but one of the things that I thought was interesting was a a lot of times in these situations, you can kind of skirt the rules and you can talk to schools or at least schools will reach out to you before you enter the portal. Once the rumor gets out and Nick, apparently he made sure he didn't talk to a single school until he entered the portal. His mom said it was because, so he could look Oklahoma's coaches in the eye and tell them uh, that he hasn't broken any rules but that he you know he he wasn't out the door until he was out the door and I think I think that's admirable at least just because you see a lot of a lot of situations where that's not always the case but with him um his dad said that playing was a factor but it wasn't the factor in finding the next school because a lot of those schools of the 42 that reached out they offered him the opportunity to be QB1 going in but he wanted to establish a, a good connection with the coaches and wanted to know where he could grow as a person and a football player. And I know some of those comments sort of sound cliche or like stock answers, but I think that really had a lot to do with it is he's evaluating what he wants to do with his college career and where he can go with it. And he sees great opportunity at Wisconsin. And another thing that I think is interesting in his situation is you talked about, absolutely, he's the one to me who jump-started what we've seen the last month and a half because he was the first of these three former four-star quarterbacks to commit out of the transfer portal way back on December 17th. And that really started to open some eyes. Um, I mean, I mentioned this in a story about um, Quincy Burroughs, who was one of the wide receivers to come over here from Cincinnati, but he talked about, he's scrolling through Twitter that morning, December 17th or that day. And he sees that Evers is committed to Wisconsin. And he's like, Whoa. And he texts his teammate, Will Pauling. And he's like, bro, are you seeing this? And both those guys end up entering the portal and coming to Wisconsin. So It said an awful lot to get a quarterback like that, but the staff didn't make any promises to him. And I think it was pretty clear at that time that they were going to continue to try to elevate the room. And that says a lot too about a guy who's willing to come here and embrace competition. Um, you see a lot of transfers (laughs) at quarterback, obviously he's leaving Oklahoma where there was a lot of competition. Dylan Gabriel was a returning starter. They just brought in a five-star prospect in Jackson Arnold, but I think he sees opportunity at Wisconsin. Um, And his skill set, I think, will match what Phil Longo wants. And I asked Longo about it, too, when we talked to him last month. What does he see in Nick Evers, or what does he like about him? And he was talking about the types of quarterbacks that he wants to recruit at Wisconsin. Long, rangy, tall, athletic players who can see over the six seven, six eight guards and tackles that Wisconsin has. And he, he thinks that that's what Nick Evers has. He likes that he's got time invested in the college game and an offense that Longo called a like offense. So he felt like it. It made sense, and it's a good fit. And even if we don't see much of Nick this year, because I my my projection and assumption is that Tanner Mordecai is going to be the guy. He could be the future at Wisconsin at quarterback. It's to me, it's it's he and and Braden Locke at this point, and and we'll see what happens with Miles Burkett, But that's three redshirt freshmen in the class or, or in the quarterback room. But I think he's got a lot to offer, and, and certainly he's ready to embrace the competition that's going to come with Wisconsin.
0: So do you view him you just said this, but I wanted to confirm you view him as the future, right? Like you think it's going to be him after Tanner Mordecai?
1: I'm no, I don't I don't think no, just because I don't want to discount what they have in, in Braden Locke. Um yeah. because I think it's a straight up competition. I think Mordecai's the guy this year, and I realize we're speculating two months out from spring ball and several months from the season, but I think then it's an open competition with Everson Locke and whoever else is developed enough to to be at that level and whoever wins to me is the quarterback of the future. Um, And Evers absolutely is, is one of those guys. It's just, it's impossible. It's impossible to predict right now. Um, But these guys aren't coming here to sit the bench. They're going to push each other to make, make one another better. Um, And if it is Evers, I obviously Wisconsin's got a a bright future and, and he has a bright future in the program.
0: Yeah, and I feel like uh, maybe Met Towers is going to have a say in this as well. Um, all – like it's – they're in a good spot, to, to say the least. Um, I wanted to do this this little exercise because we did it on Kenny and Heilpern, but it wasn't really fair because um, the, the quarterback is always going to be the guy that is going to have the biggest <laughs> impact. And so, like, no matter what you do, if you put the quarterback on your team and say uh, – and put every other transfer they have on the other team, you're still going to say, Tanner Mordecai is going to have the biggest impact – um, uh, no matter what, so taking the quarterbacks out of the equation, so no mm-hmm. Braid Lock, no Nick Evers, no Tanner Mordecai, and you think about the other ten guys, the other ten transfers that they have. Mm-hmm. Which one makes the biggest impact year one?
1: Okay, so I'm going to consult my mailbag response from a couple of weeks ago because I ranked the oh, top okay. seven. All right. Well, well, this is better because now I'm not on the spot without a sense of of my. My thought God process here. So dang it. You were trying to put me on the spot. No, no, of course not. Of course not. Uh, I, I feel like well, you just have this at the tip of the at the tip of your <laughs> tongue all the time. I just I just assume. I had Mordecai number one pretty clearly. Um Obviously. and my number my number two was actually Jake, Jake Renfro, who's coming in to be yep. starting center. Um, and that's not a sexy position. It's not the one that's gonna show up on highlight reels, but I have him there because this is an all- First team, all American athletic conference player in 2021, the year Cincinnati went to the college football playoff. He tore his meniscus in his right knee and missed all of 2022, but he's coming here and he's going to immediately fill the void left by Joe Titman Who's leaving to go to the NFL. And obviously that allows Wisconsin to shuffle around the, the rest of the offensive line. He's going to have the ball in his hands on every snap. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it doesn't get more important than that. Right? So that's why he's my top guy. Who's a non quarterback. Um, and then after that, I've got Bryson Green just because he's a proven wide receiver. He was second on Oklahoma State's team in receptions and receiving yards, and he led the team in touchdown catches. So that's my top two. I'm happy to go down the list, but I don't want to use all the air, to, uh, so you can oh. share your perspective.
0: Well, no, my again. So when we did this exercise, uh, Taran Mordecai went one. I the next two picks, and I went Jake Renfro and Bryson Green.
1: All right, we're so, on the same page.
0: Yeah. So and then I then it, I think maybe you could, uh, it could differ up a little bit. Um, yeah. So you, yeah. Give me your other, give me your other four.
1: Okay. So next in line for me and I I moved him around. Um, I had him lower and then I thought like, wait a minute, like this, he's going to be a huge piece It's Jason matry the, the defensive back from Boston college. He's coming here as a 6th year senior. And I think you can't discount the fact that this is a guy who's got 30 career starts. Um, a guy like that doesn't come here to, ride the pine like to me he is going to be a potential starter in the secondary for wisconsin and a a much needed veteran voice there obviously they've still got alexander smith um but they lost three guys who would come in for one year as transfers he's played corner and safety in his career i don't know if he winds up as the top nickel guy or where but to me that's another guy who's going to play a ton of snaps and so i i sort of weigh heavily who's actually going to be on the field the most in this, in this conversation. So he's who I had at number four and I guess number three, if you're not counting any quarterbacks and then because we can't go a show without discussing being Hmm. intoxicated by someone's leg strength. Give me Nathaniel Vakos. (laughs) I I put him at number five overall because I think he's going to have a major impact. Again, this is a guy who as a freshman, Made, made more kicks than any other freshman in the FBS last season at Ohio, 22 of 27. He made a 56-yarder. He made 49 of 50 extra points. I just think in all these slogs that you get into the Big Ten, which despite Wisconsin's what we think the offense can be, uh, there are going to be some Big Ten teams that make it awfully challenging. There's going to be some one-possession games where you need a dude to go out there and, and deliver. And uh, I'm not saying that Nate Van Zelst didn't. I thought he was exceptional this past year, far exceeded what my expectations were, because, again, uh, I didn't think he was – going to go into the season as as the top guy but you're bringing in a kid like vacos giving him a scholarship because you you trust him because of his consistency and also his leg strength and the distance that he has so that's the top five that i have at this point but uh there are so many other quality players on the list yeah
0: i think there are going to be some be like where's cj williams on your list and he probably yeah, i have is, him six <laughs> yeah, probably right, right behind him uh, i love the vacos pick that's kind of who i that's I think, who I had Fifth on my list at the time that we did it. I went Renfro, Bryson green and Mordecai and CJ Williams were off the board and mapped and, and Matre was off the board. So I think I went Vakos at six, okay. but I probably would have taken him ahead. of. I probably would have taken him ahead of CJ Williams. Um, yep. I really like, I just like the vibe. I really like the vibe. We saw the video last Thursday. How many kickers are sending out videos of them hitting 45 yard field goals with <laughs> nobody rushing them. And he's just, he just drilled it and it looked like it could have been go- uh, good from much further away. I I loved the idea that people thought he was kicking from uh the midfield stripe, and then just not realizing that that's an 80 yard field inside the uh <laughs> in, inside the McLean Center. But yeah, I mean he's he's got that vibe. I was um, we had Daryl Peterson on uh on Kitty and High last week. Came out to to Monks and Sun Prairie. Uh, he was great. Uh, we love having guys out there. Uh, we're gonna have uh, Skylar Bell out there this Thursday for anybody nice. interested. Um, but so. He was saying, "I'm like, have you met Vakos?" He goes, "Yeah, I saw him setting that video up." So he's an interesting guy. I think it's a it's a really good vibe type of thing with him, and uh, we'll see if he ends up getting it. I i i I don't want to jump on that bandwagon and just to get hurt again. But yeah, I can understand. I've jumped, but I've jumped on the bandwagon, and okay, I'm ready I like it. Yeah. So uh, Vakos is up there for me. C.J. Williams, obviously. I'm wondering, you know, Darian Varner in. Jeff Pytrowski. Yeah. Darren Varner is a smaller guy to be able to play a defensive end spot in this defense. Um, If he's going to play, if they're asking him to play at 260, 265, which is what he was at uh, at temple and Pytrowski is going to be an outside linebacker, but I'm wondering of those two, which one do you think has bigger impact this year?
1: So I had, I had CJ Williams at six. Like it sounds like you did, or at least in that mix. And then at seven, I put Varner. I think the caveat here is, and this is worth following is he missed the last two games last season with a foot injury? And I don't know how long that situation is going to linger. So, obviously, all these guys who are transfer portal additions are here, and spring practice is a couple months away. I don't know what we're going to see of him in the spring. So, I think that's something to at least monitor. But the production for me is really difficult to ignore. Again, another first team all athletic, uh, American Athletic Conference performer, he had 12 and a half tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks. But you're right. that That's the thing. And he may be one of the most difficult among these additions to project because he's 265, and that's 30 pounds lighter than basically all the other guys that are contributors on the D-line for Wisconsin. And Isaiah Mullins, Rodas Johnson, James Thompson Jr. Varner had his most success at Temple when he dropped 30 pounds because he was 290, 295 before. Um, I don't know if you can be 265 as a defensive end in the Big Ten. So I have him ahead of Petrowski. But I think it's more of a toss up there. And I think also, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Joe Huber. Um, I've got yeah. a story that's coming on him pretty soon here on The Athletic. Um, I think he's going to be a, a very important piece to the offensive line. The thing is, you can right now basically plug and play Renfro and say, okay, he's your starting center. And Huber, who's a starting right tackle at Cincinnati, is presumably going to be a guard here. There's a lot of guard competition, so I think that's what's tough. Is I can't say well he's going to be one of the starters. He may be a rotation player this year, but he very well could end up being a starter. So they got a lot of quality and depth um, out of the portal, and and uh, that's why it's challenging, especially when you get into the I guess what you would say the the bottom half of the additions that they have to figure out who's going to make a bigger impact.
0: Well, and that brings me to the to the two guys we didn't talk about the other two Cincinnati guys, and and you yeah. mentioned their names earlier, but just that feels like an upward or Cecile feels like an uphill climb to be able to get playing time from those guys. But again, they, we don't know. And it's all a guess right now until we see it uh, in a month and a half when spring ball opens, we just don't know exactly what it's all going to look like and what these coaches view these other guys as right.
1: Yeah. I think the challenge is it's hard to separate what we've seen of Wisconsin's history with what, the future could be because it feels like it's going to be so different as far as the passing game goes. Very rarely have we seen more than three wide receivers be significant contributors in a single season, but you've got five. I think right now you can debate what the order is, but you've got your top three returning wide receivers with Chimre, DK, Skylar bell, Keontes Lewis. You're adding Bryson green. who I think right away is one of your top line receivers and CJ Williams, who's got as high of a ceiling as maybe any wide receiver they've had come through. That's five right there. Um, don't know what's going to happen with Marcus Allen. Vinny Anthony, I think, showed some bursts uh, in his first season. But then you've got, like you said, the two Cincinnati guys, Quincy Burroughs and Will Pauling. And it's just it's hard to know right now exactly where they fit in immediately. And maybe those are the types of guys that you don't see them a ton offensively this season but become key contributors down the road. There's just a lot of talent in the wide receiver room. and And not just talent, but now you've got experience.
0: You do have experience. Uh, I, I've been thinking about going back and doing the, the redoing the depth charts that we did yeah. last, like a, a month ago, because obviously they've changed pretty significantly since then. And I, I probably will, but the one position I, I really kind of up in the air and don't really know which way they're going to go with is punt returner. And I know that's not like mm-hmm. the uh, extremely, extremely important, but it is certainly something that people pay attention to because they were very happy that Dean Ingram was not going to be their punt returner again. Is it possibility that, that any of the uh, incoming guys could potentially get that spot. Or if you were to have, to, if you were forced to put together a depth chart at at uh, punt return right now, who would be your one? I mean, I'm trying to think of who your two was uh, last year or um, last month. I can't remember off the top of my head, but who would it be?
1: I'm trying to look it up right now, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but I You're honestly, welcome. I think, I think I just defaulted and went to whoever the backup was for the bowl game. So my yeah. backup was chimere DK. Well, he's yeah. not going to be your top punt returner. He's one of your top wide receivers. So, Yeah, I don't have an answer right now. And this is this may be one of the situations and we've seen it before in spring ball where you've got six guys back there just returning kicks, uh, don't have a clear cut front runner. um. And a lot of the guys that they brought in, if you're an athlete and you're at the high school level in particular, they use you everywhere. So you may be a DB, you may also play wide out, they may put you in the wildcat and you also return kicks and punts. So I think that there's going to be a lot of options. I just don't know what that answer is right now but they need more explosiveness out of that position. I think that's fair to say. Um, I mean, Ingram averaged 5.5 yards per return this past season and his long was 24 yards. And that was an increase over his first two seasons as as a punt returner. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, you got to catch the ball. You don't want to lose that hidden yardage, as we've heard before. But if you can get a little bit more explosiveness and playmaking out of your punt returner, you see what a big difference special teams can make when you've got a big time play.
0: All right. uh, One final question before uh, we close things up a couple of weeks ago, uh, I got a question about Wisconsin's uh, academic standards. Um, That's obviously been a huge thing, more so, I believe, uh, on the high school side of things more than anything else. But um, when they bring in 13 transfers, people are starting to wonder if Wisconsin's academic standards have taken a dip here in these last five weeks to allow for all these guys to come in. And uh, I know you had a chance to dig into that a little bit deeper. What did you find?
1: Yeah, so I think there's an important distinction to make about bringing in transfers, which wasn't a big thing, at least in this level or volume a few years ago, the way it is now and high school guys, and especially junior college guys, really, the last time we heard this as a big talking point was when Gary Anderson exited stage left and went to Oregon State and was frustrated with the academic standards, or at least the inability to get the types of guys he wanted to bring in, uh, get them to campus. But He had had all of his, a lot of his success at Utah State before was bringing in junior college guys or kind of fringe academic qualifiers. That's not what we're talking about with transfers. Um, And I did have a chance to reach out to somebody in the uh, UW-Madison Office of Admissions and Recruitment just to ask him what the standards are, because I think there's been some question about how this works. Um, And the thing she said that I think is notable is there's no official minimum GPA requirement for these transfers. So there are arrangements in place for transfers with if you transfer from a UW system school or some area community colleges that require the cumulative GPA to be 3.0. But she said that for everyone else, and this is, quote, it's a holistic approach to our application reviews because we're looking at a lot of different factors when we're making our decision, end quote. That doesn't mean they're bringing in guys who've got 1.2 GPAs. Because that's the thing that's important to consider is these guys are coming from four-year college institutions where they are required to uphold certain standards to maintain eligibility. Um, So they're not 1.4 GPA guys who can't qualify academically. And in fact, if you look at some of the players that they've brought in, it's not even anywhere near a question. We talked about Quincy Burroughs, one of the wide receivers who came from Cincinnati. He had a 4.0 plus GPA in high school and he earned four Ivy League offers. Jake Renfro had four Ivy League offers. Joe Huber's in the frickin' mechanical engineering program. Jason Matry, the kid from Boston College, he was a, a Boston Herald All-Scholastic selection. And, and C.J. Williams, he had a 4.0 GPA while taking AP classes at Matterday High School in California. So in a lot of these situations, it's it's like not even a question. But the, the, the last thing I would say is just if you're wondering what the academic standards are in general, and I looked this up on Wisconsin's website, the minimum standards of academic eligibility for student athletes at Wisconsin, it varies based on what year you are in school, but the minimum when you begin year two is a 1.8 GPA, and you've got to be enrolled full-time, which is 12 credits, um, and then you've got to have earned 24 credits to that point. So I think you you basically take like 12 credit hours uh, per semester at Wisconsin, so 1.8 is the minimum in year two, and then it goes to 1.9. And then in year four, it's 2.0. So those are like the lowest, generally speaking, of once you're already at Wisconsin. But in terms of academic standards for transfers, it's kind of nothing's defined. But again, these are guys who were coming from a place where they had to maintain academic eligibility. So that was a mouthful, but th- does that does that make some sense?
0: makes sense to me. We'll see if it makes sense um, <laughs> to everybody else. I Do you think that they what about the high school aspect of it? I know you don't have any answers to this, but do you think there will be any kind of a change there or if it's just going to continue to be as is and, and Luke Fickle knew what, what it was coming when he was coming in. I, I kind of feel like he knew what it was going to be coming in and, yep. and there's not going to be a, a significant change here at all.
1: I really think that too. I think, I think, I think the types of kids they're going after obviously are good football players, but they're looking at the big picture and, and academics have to be a big part of it. Um, so they'll be able to be prepared for the college level. So I don't really think that that's going to be a significant issue under Fickle. I just don't.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, Jesse, thank you very much. We'll uh, catch up next week. Thanks, Zach. All right. Everybody else, we will also see you next week. You've been listening to The Camp.